Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Other tone, 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 tone. This is a true story. Drapetomaniacs uses dramatizations, primary sources, and the research of black historians to depict real events and historical figures. Today's episode stars Bob the Drag Queen. You've heard scary stories of monsters like vampires, zombies, or white children hating LGBTQIA community loving school teachers that only exist in the hollows of the white imagination. The terrifying characters who exist in these stories, the ones built on white fear, are black people who refuse to be treated as anything less than fully realized human beings. Welcome to a special story time episode of Drapetomaniacs. The unshackled history of how a town filled with gun-toting, freedom-loving black people freed two young children from the horrors that black bodies experience in the real world. And they did it by any means necessary. Miss Agnes, when are we starting? Miss, I think maybe I'm hungry. I don't know yet. Miss Agnes and her fourth grade class or the first group to visit the newly opened Draptomaniacs Library of Black History. They huddled on a mat, waiting for story time to kick off. Sorry, everyone. We need a few more minutes. Our guest reader is... I'm here. She's here. Kids, this is Bob the Drag Queen. Wow. So sparkly. I know. I know. Some commotion for the back. Miss, I don't think I'm hungry anymore. Will you look at that? Literally feeding the children. I'm so glad you're here. Security said you were already in the building and with everything happening outside. Miss Agnes is referring to the angry mob of concerned parents picketing the event as we speak. They're either protesting CRT being taught in schools, the presence of drag queens who can read, or the fact that Draptomaniac's public library only lets in black kids. I don't know. Lots of reason to be screaming outside of a building. It was an emergency. I left a pack of gushers in the car. Now, what were we reading? Yes, about that. The librarian, who is also mysteriously missing, gave me this. I'm not sure what to do with it because... Can I have a gusher? Mm, no, I'm <laughs> kidding. Of course you can. And remember, you don't have to share. Some things are just for you, little Idris. It's Alex. Sorry, yes. Alex. But I like Idris better. Can I be honest with you, Alex, not Idris? Same. Here, have another gusher. Pass them around, right? Okay, now, Miss Agnes, I'm in day drag. Stunning? Very. Built to last? Not so much so. Give me the book. I'm, I'm sure we'll be fine. Okay, then. Um, kids, we're going to start. This is Miss Bob, the drag queen. Go with Bob. Just Bob. She, her, 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 her. You don't look like a Bob. Yeah, what's your name? Brianna. With two ends. Got it. Brianna with two ends. What does a bob look like? In fact, you know what? Don't answer that. I'm not trying to get my feelings hurt by a 12-year-old on a Tuesday morning. Okay. Bob will now read us an extraordinary story that our hosts here at Drape to Maniacs, the Library of Black History, have called um, Suspension, Distortion, and Re-Election. The unexpected, albeit necessary, militant approach of... um. Okay, okay. Give me that. Miss Agnes, is this a... 
thesis defense draft. These kids are what, 10, 11, uh, at most 12? And a half. I-, I know, but it's what the library set aside for us. So what I'm hearing is that I reluctantly picked a gig to read a book to kids because drag is under attack and shit. And now I have to do a childproof improv using someone's PhD about a guy called Robert. Our apologies. We're still working on indexing and organizing our collection of black historical facts. This is a new institution. We can't escape growing pains. Back to story time. Okay, youthful ones, gather around to hear some age-appropriate story that we're now calling um, Once Upon a Time in North Carolina. I like that title better. Okay, ready. Long ago. Oh my kid, this happened like yesterday. <laughs> 1958. Back when dinosaurs existed? Okay, all right, not too much on 1958. No, Keisha. I think it was before Christ. Okay, everybody, stop guessing. 1958, it really wasn't that long ago. I bet some of y'all's grandparents were alive then, right? How much are we talking? Yeah, what kind of stickers you got? I'm not gambling with children. It's, it's enough that I'm here in drag in a library. You may want to let the kids have that. Okay, fine. People become grandparents and they're in their 30s these days. Damn, little Idris. You kind of ate that. I'm not going to lie. Okay, are we, all, are we all good? Some of your grandparents are my age. We're all happy. Yeah. All right, great. From the top, once upon a time in the wonderland of North Carolina, there were two beautiful black boys named James and David. The two friends flourished in a small town in North Carolina called Monroe, where everyone used their imagination to escape the pale evil that lurked amongst them. One day, James's mother, Evelyn, took the boys to the flavorless side of town where she worked. James and David had hoped that the power of their imagination would bring light and joy. Instead, it was attacked by a little Karen in training and the limits of her white imagination. Can you guess what that little white girl did when she encountered James and David? Call the police. Cry like a hungry baby. Mind everyone's business but her own. Now, wait up, Miss Agnes. These kids, why are they so bright? Oh, I don't know. They discovered the Internet somewhere between diaper changes and naps. You know, this may be fun after all. Okay, so Miss Little Karen in training was playing around with the boys. Note, she was playing around, not with, but around them when she decided to practice the song of her people. Whole ass lies. Yes, this little micro Karen had trained very, very well. She gave James and David an innocent kiss on the jaw, but this wasn't just any ordinary peck. With that small action, she cursed them with... The Poison Whisper. Jesus. You okay, ma'am? I'm good. I, I, I'm okay. Yes, continue. Sorry. What is, um... What? The Poison Whisper? <laughs> <coughs> Questions? Yeah. What does it do? What happens when you get hit? Oh, uh, 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 nothing. Really? You promise nothing bad happens? Oh, damn. Okay, um, and listen, before I answer that very sweet, heartfelt question, asking for just, you know, the truth, I have to admit something. I forgot that I was doing this with kids, you know, like actual, innocent, curious children who um, I don't normally dabble with. And despite what the press folks holding up the science outside would have you believe, not exactly my uh, target demographic. No offense. None taken. Thanks. Your your confidence in the validity of these words may be shaken by what uh, you're about to discover. But trust me, this will not happen again, at least not during this story time. OK, um, it's the it's the honesty train. It's the honest, honest train um, from here on out, because unfortunately, as your cynical classmates have already gathered, maybe I lied. 
something quite horrific does happen. No. Knew it. Again, great instincts. So, um, the poison whisper. Oh, fu fudge. Fudge. Would anyone like fudge? I've got fudge. No? Fucking language, Miss Agnes. These are children. Now, it makes dangerous lies spread like lightning. Fast. Imagine giant billowing clouds of blinding mist rolling into a sleepy town. It touches everything that has no color. The shadows of lies infect every one of the pale people's evil guardians. The police. Now, for clarity, the poison whisper is just a euphemism for white people lying. I just want to be clear about that. We're dealing with metaphors here. What's a euphemism? You know, that's a good question. Euph euphemism is the spinoff of Euphoria. <laughs> but this one, th this one has the, the little girl from Blackish. She's the kissing case, as it would later be called, escalated two days after the peck on the jaw incident. The boy's mother, Evelyn, received a call informing her that the police had kidnapped her son. They were accused of sexual assault and were severely beaten. A week passed before the boys could even see their parents. Because of a kiss? Yeah, because of a non-kiss kiss. Yeah, non-consensual kiss. Yeah, it sounds ridiculous, right? Because it is. It's all really just an excuse to hurt the melanated. But why? Because of the alleged defiling of white maidenhood. It was a very popular accusation made against black men and boys. And it was effective. It worked during the Red Summer of 1919, a lynching epidemic that broke out after World War I. It worked to get Emmett Till killed. The bombing of Black Wall Street, the segregation movement, the Karen Tier economy developed in the 2020s, all fueled by this popular way to terrorize black people and maintain white supremacy. But they tried it in the wrong small town with the right set of gunslinging black folk. We'll continue. After this break. Black perspectives haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now, we're taking center stage. Introducing NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, a collection of Black-led stories from NPR's podcasts. Search NPR Black Stories, Black Truths wherever you get your podcasts. How does AI even work? Where does creativity come from? What's the secret to living longer? TED Radio Hour explores the biggest questions with some of the world's greatest thinkers. They will surprise, challenge, and even change you. Listen to NPR's TED Radio Hour wherever you get your podcasts. We're back. Let's continue with this episode. Now, when the melanated parts of Monroe heard about what happened to James and David, baby, they sprung into action. One brave knight was giving very much one of one. Number one. The only one. Let's just say he was outside and he was that outside. All right. Now, his name was Robert. Fuck around and find out Williams. Can I say it too? Baby, I am not your mother. Go ahead and say it. Let it fly. Come on. Wait, can I really? No. Aww. You know what? Maybe don't say it. Just say it later. Uh, okay. Wait, where were we? His name was Robert. Can't say the word. Around and find out, Williams. Robert's fuck around and find out spirit was influenced by several events in his real life. First, his grandparents were formerly enslaved people who defied North Carolina law and learned how to read during their enslavement. They used their skills to become politically active in a town overrun with white supremacists. Robert's grandfather traveled around North Carolina convincing poor whites and newly freed blacks to vote for the Fusion Party. 
a political coalition of North Carolina Republicans and poor whites, rose to compete against the state conservative Democratic Party. The Fusion Party won every single statewide office. The only way the state's white conservatives could reestablish white supremacy was to disenfranchise and terrorize black voters, which they did. It was a dark time in all of North Carolina. And because of Rob's grandparents' work, they were right in the middle of the storm. Now, remember when I told you all that I was going to keep it honest? Yeah. Okay, now parts of the story is going to get pretty gnarly, all right? And although truth matters... You lied. Oh, I did. And I apologized. So let it go. What if I don't accept your apology? You know what? That's fair. No, I'm just playing. You got me. Pete Comedy, when's your, when's your special coming out? <laughs> now, look, even though the truth is essential... The things that suck about it, those things really, really suck. But that's okay, too. You want to know why? Why? Okay, number one, first and most importantly, you're safe. Right here, right now. Miss Agnes and I are here. And you matter to us quite a bit. Isn't that right, Miss Agnes? That would be correct. Also, as an aside, trust, the face might be beat to the high heavens, but I am still a six foot two, 240-pound human being who can fight, honey. And two, we're together. We're learning and empowering ourselves. Okay, now that we're all emotionally primed for the next part, here we go. When Robert was around your age, he saw a cop drag and batter a woman. To death? Unfortunately, yeah. So that's the kind of environment Robert was raised in, you know? Damn, that's rough. That's right. Robert witnessed a woman getting beat by the police, which was scary and eye-opening. Well, his mom, Miss Ellen, wanted Robert to feel protected and empowered, so she strapped him up with his grandfather's rifle right before she died. Someone else died? Listen, a lot of people are going to die in this story. Like, a lot. Can anyone tell me what lesson we can take from this? Like, let's say it together. One, two, three. If you stay ready. You don't don't have have to get get ready. ready. You know, you kids are going to be just fine. Miss Agnes, can I go play a little? The story is making my stomach hurt. Baby, of course. Go play. Yes, absolutely. Come, come. Anyone else want to join them? Kids, you're always allowed to opt out at any point, okay? Okay. The third event that really influenced how Robert saw the world was living in Detroit in 1943. See, in 1941, Franklin Roosevelt signed an executive order banning discrimination in factories with defense contracts. This opened up a lot of job opportunities for black people from the South which led to the second great migration, and Robert and his brother were part of it. Robert enrolled in college and began writing about race relations for black newspapers. But just like Mary and her little lamb, the pale evil was sure to go everywhere that black people went. Mr. Drag Queen? Sorry, just Bob? Oh, yes, baby, what's up? That did not sound good. Okay, now that that was a read because it, it sounded so sincere and just so so mean. You might be a little drag queen when you grow up because that was that cut cut me deep. But soon after Robert moved to Detroit, violence erupted in the streets when a mob of whites responded to a false rumor that black men had raped and murdered a white woman. Thirty-four people were killed in the Detroit race riot, including 25 African-Americans, and the majority of the 600 people who were injured were black. But Robert continued working and writing about race relations until World War II broke out. He was drafted to the Marines, where he served a year and a half before returning home to Monroe in 1947. It was here that Robert met the lovely Mabel Williams, who would further radicalize Robert. 
every night needs a uh damn I, I just had it wait what, what's the what's the like the feminine equivalent of a night wait don't tell me put your ipads away stop googling keisha say like say it off the top of your head don't cheat a ride or die dame. wait did you say ride or die the, the word is dame Okay, I think a millennial wrote the script. I, th- I think that there is someone in their late 30s, early 40s uh, typing on this project. Robert and his dame, Dame Mabel Williams, set about building a life together in Monroe, even though it was now controlled by the pale, most evil, the Ku Klux Klan. Are you doing Bridgerton? Oh, no, I've been speaking this way since the beginning. Is from the moment I arrived here. See, Miss, uh, you gotta gaslight these kids, because otherwise you can't let them get a leg up. Right, now, Keisha, please, Alex, please have some composure. When Robert moved back to his hometown, he had no idea that it was controlled by a terrorist organization. Of Monroe's 12,000 residents, an estimated 7,500 were members of the Ku Klux Klan. So Robert applied for a charter with the National Rifle Association. A lot of people say that they only granted Robert a charter because his name was white sounding, but they did. And Robert named his new group the Black Armed Guard. And as the 50 or 60 black veterans who were part of the Black Armed Guard protected Monroe's black neighborhoods, Mabel convinced Robert that they could actually rebuild the local NAACP chapter. Now, Robert, he wasn't convinced. NAACP chapters were usually filled with black middle class members and Monroe didn't have many of those people. But Mabel had a better idea. What if they got the dudes who hung out in the pool halls? What if they recruited the black women who worked in white people's homes as domestics? Well, Robert did it. And soon, Monroe had one of the largest NAACP chapters in the country. At first, Robert tried to use his connection to the NAACP to address the kissing case. He contacted the state and national headquarters, but the NAACP had a strict policy that prohibited them from getting involved in sex cases. So Robert formed his own organization, the Committee to Combat Racial Injustice. He also hired a lawyer for the boys to take on the kissing case. And because of his reputation in Monroe and writing for black newspapers, he publicized it in the international press. It takes a while to make national headlines at first, but when it does, the white newspapers did what they always do. They flat out lie. They make it seem like James and David had done something wrong when they were actually Marks and Robert had done had it officially. So he grabbed his truth, his blicky, the the pew pew, the and he traveled around to share the real story to the only newspapers that would listen. Robert is determined to save these boys. Wait, Miss Agnes, didn't you say that the civil rights movement was nonviolent? So why would he want a gun? Um, yeah, Keisha, yes, yes, I did say that. Okay, fantastic question. One that I hadn't pondered until this very moment because we are only allowed to teach you the dog sh- The abridged version. We're only allowed to teach you the abridged version of history. So, uh, I got this. Okay, so I want us all to remember that black people have always had to fight for our freedom. We did not suddenly wake up in 1955 to this new realization that we had the right to be treated like human beings. To be absolutely clear, black young Sheldon, the civil rights movements, baby, it was not nonviolent. Okay? And the white folks, they were plenty violent. Okay? The point is, 
there were different kinds of nonviolence resistance. Civil rights leaders like white people favorite Martin Luther King Jr. and other badasses like John Lewis believed in philosophical nonviolence, which is a pacifist approach that refrains from violence in all forms. But Robert and his troops preferred tactical nonviolence as a protest strategy and a political tool for creating change. Now, they all got to the same point, just taking different routes, because on the flip side, we had powerhouses like Ida B. Wells, Mary McLeod Bethune, Harriet Tubman, Stokely Carmichael, civil rights icon Anne Avery, and our boy Robert. Now, see, these girlies were not afraid to throw hands, okay? They were for the find out solution, any chance they got. Now, I'm delicate. I don't be fighting. That's right. Robert and the men weren't the only ones busy trying to free the boys. Listen, okay, listen. The men folk did a lot, all right? I mean, they do a lot in general, but for the black community in Monroe, they stepped there, you know what's up, all right? Now, still, while the men ensured that many of them things were being appropriately slanged, Dame Mabel Williams was getting the girls information, honey. Okay, ladies, now let's get information because information is the key to knowledge. The women in the movement created an armed fighting force and built a covert spy network of maids and nannies who gathered and passed along intelligence from inside the white homes they worked in. Thanks to the intel received through that network, Robert learned that the Klan had planned to pull a drive-by on Dr. Alfred Perry, his good friend and the vice president of Monroe's NAACP chapter. The Black Guard fortified Dr. Perry's house with sandbags and got into a shootout with the racist mob. Yo, now when I tell you this was wild, I'm talking wild, wild west. Baby, they built a fort around the sandbags, straight up Les Mis style. Built a barricade, okay, to go to work on them pointy hat hoes, okay? And they were like, pow, pow, to the poop, poop. They were like, da, 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 da. You know, you know when, when Cardi said, I put my hand up above my hip, I bet you dip, she dip, she dip. Yeah, baby, they shut it down. Not like boom shakalaka, okay? What? A uh, boom shakalaka, <laughs> okay? We'll continue this episode of Drapetomaniacs after this break. What if millions of black Americans had been compensated for slavery? Join me, Tremaine Lee, as I explore the untold story of one of the only black Americans who ever was. I talk to his descendants and discuss how reparations forever change their family's trajectory and imagine a reality where reparations are paid to the rest of black America. Into America presents Uncounted Millions, The Power of Reparations, a Black History Month series. New episodes drop Thursdays. Listen now, wherever you get your podcasts. Do you ever wonder how celebrities order food? Like, is Sarah Paulson a Diet Coke or a regular Coke girlie? (laughs) Some peasant Coke? No. Or how does Sofia Vergara order a pizza? No, no, no tomatoes. I cannot eat tomatoes. tomatoes? Are you killed mushrooms? Not really. (laughs) If these are the details you need, and I know you do, I have the podcast for you. I'm Jesse Tyler Ferguson, and on my podcast, Dinners on Me, I take some notable friends of mine out to dinners in Los Angeles and New York City. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. That thing was delicious. Back to the kissing case. On Halloween night, police officers broke into the boys' cell wearing white sheets to intimidate them. The white residents of Monroe also attacked the boys' parents by spraying their home with bullets. In the end, James and David were sentenced to the Morrison Training School for Negroes after a brief hearing with no attorney present. 
Judge J. Hampton Price told the boys that he might let them out when they turned 21, but only if, quote, they were well behaved. Major papers in the U.S. and around the globe picked up the story. The London News Chronicle had it on its front page. And as the story grew, activists in Rome, Paris and Berlin got involved in Operation Snowball. People stormed the U.S. Embassy in several countries and the former U.S. Information Agency reported receiving 12,000 letters inquiring about the kissing case. Now, the attention these two innocent boys got forced the federal government to pressure the North Carolina's governor into releasing the children. But before the governor agreed, he tried to get James and David to sign a paper saying they had done the horrible things they were accused of. Thankfully, their mother pulled in a young Levanzette and said, not on my watch. The government of North Carolina released James and David three months after the state's criminal justice system had targeted and incarcerated the innocent boys. Newspapers noted that, quote, everything had worked out. Robert stood against the evil that forms in the white imagination, an evil that comes out to attack black bodies. His willingness to fight fire with more intentional fire led to a story that ended in freedom for two wonderful and worthy black children. The end now uh, we got we got to clear out because we do have another um gathering uh blickies for uh black babies um is our next our next group so we, we, we need to clear out if you're not about that life you need to hurry up and move because um it's about to get wild up in here miss agnes are you crying oh, baby she is gone okay now while miss agnes gathers herself let's do a recap all right what did we learn about today don't let white girls kiss you because they're cursed say it louder for the black athletes Sometimes, when they go low, you can go lower. Bottom of the sea. Remember, Arrow's black now. And you might have to bring a gun. Reel it in, Brianna. Whoa, whoa. In this instance, it seemed apropos, but we need to talk about, um, you know, action and reaction. Ooh, I have something, but can I cuss? Uh, Sure. No. Fuck it. Okay, but make it quick. I learned that if they fuck around, you gotta let them find out. Exactly, Brianna with two N's. Exactly. All right, what else do we find out? Who, who Whose turn is it? Lil Idris, talk to me. Robert felt betrayed by the NAACP and eventually separated from the organization. They didn't care much for him either. His confrontational approach was a taste too far for them. Robert ended up on the FBI's most wanted list after he was falsely accused of kidnapping a white couple who wandered into Monroe's black neighborhoods while traveling through town. So Rob and Mabel fled the country, first for Cuba, then to China. This wasn't just out of fear of Monroe's police. After the assassination of Martin Luther King Jr. and Malcolm X, FBI Director J. Edgar Hoover saw Robert's leadership as the biggest threat from the black liberation movement. James Thompson and David Simpson's lives were forever changed by this injustice. In 2011, StoryCorps interviewed James and his two siblings about how the kissing case affected them. We were playing with some friends over in the white neighborhood, chasing spiders and wrestling and stuff like that. One of the kids suggested that one of the little white girls give us a kiss on the jaw. The little girl gave me a peck on the cheek, and then she kissed David on the cheek, so we didn't think nothing of it. We were just little kids. I was nine years old. David was seven. Really, they didn't hardly know what a kiss was. And so we went on home like nothing happened, you know. And the next day, the police car pulled up, and they said, we're taking y'all to jail. 
I didn't know what was going on. But when we got down to the police station, we understand that they said that we had raped a little white girl. They uh, took us down in the bottom of the police station to a cell, and they had us handcuffed. They started beating us. They was beating us to our body, you know. They didn't beat us to the face where nobody could see it. They just punched us all in the stomach and back and legs. We was hollering and screaming. We thought they was going to kill us. And so we stayed in jail for six or seven days before our parents ever got a chance to see us. And they sent me to a psychologist. And I would go see that man every week I had to go see him. And he'd tell me they should have castrated y'all. I mean, it was just something. I, I still feel the hurt and the pain from it. And nobody have never said, hey, look, I'm sorry what happened to y'all. It was wrong. And I always sit around and I wonder, if this hadn't happened to me, you know, what could I have turned out to be? Could I have been a doctor? Could I have went off to some college or some great school and just destroyed our life? It's impossible for us to tell all the stories or even count all the fucked up shit that's been done to black people at the hands of white supremacy. But when survivors like James Thompson and David Simpson choose to tell their stories, it's a gift. They help us see that resistance is not futile, that collective liberation is possible, that the evil monster of white supremacy that lurks in the shadows it can be slayed. Their stories remind us what is possible when we fight back. On the next episode of Drape Maniac's Unshackled History, Mrs. Shakur, how do you plead to the charges before you? Not guilty, Your Honor. Do you know that this is a capital murder case? It is not the place to toy with your freedom. Freedom is an abstract idea. I have considered the choice I have made. I stand with it. Your Honor, the prosecution's position on this matter is if she likes it, we love it. You'll hear the story of how one freedom fighter taught herself the law and defended herself and her fellow freedom fighters in one of the biggest cases of political persecution in American history. Drape Tone Maniacs is a collaboration between Other Tone, Sony Music Entertainment, and Queer Media. This podcast is produced by Nolika Radway and Moses Shoyola, with senior producer Janicia Francis, managing producer Joanne DeLuna, production coordinator Homero Radway, and production assistant Jillian Roberts Atkinson. Executive producers for this show are Pharrell Williams and Scott Venner. Our head writer is Silas Miami. Our writing team includes Roderick Morrow, Danielle Solomon, Dallas Rico, and Randolph Terrence Sturdivant. Our sound engineer is Tony Paulson. Our fact checker is LaPortia Thomas. Music supervisor is Patricia Wangeshi Kihoro. The theme song is Freedom by Pharrell Williams. Special thanks to voice actors Andrea O'Brien Vives, Jude Pijuo, Hanan Pijuo, Moxie Radway, and August Jervis Spitzman. Songs featured on this episode include Sensitive Detective by Clouds, Golden Crates by Dusty Dex, Keys to the Castle by Salon Dijon, Vanished by Wicked Cinema, Birdwatching by Delbani, as well as music by Chad Milner. This episode featured Bob the Drag Queen as herself. 
Read more by Michael Harriet at thegrio.com. <laughs>